Final corrective acid mist was applied to the face once a day. In con- just once a day is actually kind of interesting and mm. kind of impressive. In conjunction with a sunscreen. <laughs> so my face just feels so dry reading that. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back, everyone, to the Chemist Confessions podcast. I'm Gloria. I'm Victoria. This is a human conversation on all the skin signs we talk about on the daily. Mm. And today's episode is about, oh, it's a dense topic. It's about irritation, inflammation, irritation. That's irritation. You're saying irritation. <laughs> Redness. It's a very irritating, but um, you'll see why this episode is so difficult. Yeah. But before we get into the meat, let's open up with some nice words. Hell yeah. All right, let's do it. We got our first review on our very first uh, limited edition, uh, I guess, curated skincare kit. Mm -hmm. This is our back to skincare. Um, This is for basically the fall um, season and into winter. This person writes, the title is, I love this brand. And she writes, amazing. When using it, it feels like I'm using a $400 cream. I like how my skin feels. It calmed my redness and is really good to use after retinol or glycolic acid. The box is so fun and had the chance to try the face wash. Definitely, I'll recommend this brand. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So this kit contains Mr. Reliable. It contains our blank slate um, in these travel size minis and also a full size of our specialist. We put this together mm. as kind of like a fun mini routine um, that we think covers some of the basics, um, your moisturizer, your exfoliator, and your cleanser. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah and it's a great way to introduce people to your brand yeah. feel like it's a, a basic but pretty comprehensive routine mm-hmm. and for this review i i was extra flattered because this person was kind enough to share their routine mm-hmm. for everyone to reference and they use sk2 and i'm kind of like whoa 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 <laughs> <You're> <laughs> a discerning right. customer loving our brand a bit yeah. of chest pu- <laughs> puffing here yep 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 yeah that's awesome so yeah uh, our kit is actually still available so mm-hmm. Um, if you are interested in trying this routine out for yourself, definitely check it out. All right. Next one. Uh, this one is about the specialist. Yep. The title is Great Exfoliator and Spot Treatment. The best spot treatment I've ever used for my chin. I have a lot of trouble getting rid of whiteheads because my chin is so oily, but I have otherwise dry, clear skin. Love mixing it with the Aquafix for a full face exfoliator. Nice. Yay. Yay. We extra love these, um, our customers who get, um, really make the exfoliator experience their own because um, that's kind of how we wanted to create this line. Make sure that you can find the molecule that works for you and use it the way that works for you. But it was really hard for us to really communicate that very well. I don't think we did a very good job in the beginning. These people read the instructions. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm um, really glad you found a way that works for your um, for your skin. Mm-hmm. The specialist does come with 18% mandelic acid, 2% cell acid, and 5% niacinamide. It sounds like a daunting amount of acid, but the uh, mandelic is very gentle. Mm-hmm. That's why you... Of our entire line of exfoliators, this is the one that we say is safe to use as a leave-on spot treat. Mm, for sure. I also think that a lot of times when actives get touted as oily, like better for oilier acne, mm-hmm. they actually think it's more harsh. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah actually. You're but right. Mandelic's actually one of the biggest AHA molecules you can get. So mm-hmm. it's actually pretty gentle. Yeah. But anyways, I always find that it's quite interesting. And for our final product, this is about Bon Voyage. And the title is Poison Oak Rash Savior. Never in thought we would ha- get this, but great. Yep. Uh, and the review goes, my partner had a bad poison oak rash. And once it went away, his skin was left so dry, itchy, and raw. Mm. This helped repair the skin barrier and return it to normal health. 
I also have been using it on my lips and under eyes for a little extra moisture boost, and it's amazing. It's like a better version of Aquaphor. Thanks, Chemist Confessions. You are welcome. Yeah, <laughs> um, that's awesome. And <laughs> Bumboya just came back in stock, guys. Yeah. So yeah, I think it captures everything we wanted. Um, it's great that she knows like this is really to really help out your skin barrier, especially mm-hmm. when it's in a pinch. So perfect. Yeah. But yeah. otherwise. Please use our promo code podcast ship to get free shipping on your order. And that also includes expedited shipping. Ooh, so, yes. And it's stackable. Yes, <gasps> yes it's stackable. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> we are so with it today. All right. That's because we are in our minds getting ready for the meats. All right. Meats part one. Um, we are going to give everyone a biology lesson. Yeah, hell no. Yeah, except not. We will put it on the screen. But basically, I think um, so for hyperpigmentation, we talk, we love talking about the pathways, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, like the melanin is produced by the cells and it's like um, prompted by external aggressors. And here's the pathway and here's like ingredients target these different pathways. People love that type of concept and story. But with redness, irritation, inflammation, it's just super complicated and you will pull your hair out if you try to decipher it by biology we pull our hair out deciphering the biology we'll put up a few charts of like pathways like it just it's there's a lot a lot of stuff going on some signal um proteins pathways something sometimes you'll hear things like interleukin-4 nf-kappa b and all these stuff and they're all just one part of a very complicated network of stuff so and there's multiple cascades firing at the same time so it's just not a helpful way to go about trying to dissect this realm. Yeah. So instead, Gloria and I are going to do the top-down approach. And yep. we're just going to start with what the hell is sensitive skin? And has like- anyone even like looked at this scenario, basically? It sounds yeah. almost like a philosophical question. <laughs> kind of. And mm-hmm. you'll see why. So in a lot of papers, this is described and attributed as tightness, uh, abnormal stinging, burning, burning tingling, pain, and pruritus, which is itchiness. And they also mention that erythema is not a must. So I find this description to be very like generic. Yes. It's almost like really messed up. But this to me reads like one of those like depression medication ads. (laughs) Do you sometimes feel sad? Do you wonder what the meaning of life is and that you might not have hope? And you're like, well, yeah, I do sometimes get sad. It's like, it's like, do, do, is your skin tight? Well, sometimes. Does it sting? Once in a while. Is it burning? It can. And then you're like, oh my God, I have sensitive skin. Yes, yes. It, and I think the other thing too is this is something that people who may have had like a sudden, maybe just like bad patch where, and I think we've all been there where mm-hmm. like maybe you came back from a trip and suddenly skin is like freaking out. Like that scenario which is a lot more like uh temporary could get classified as sensitive skin whereas there are individuals who truly have this as a chronic skin mm-hmm. condition so that's where all the mystery comes from yep but anyways so that's the general very vanilla not so helpful definition i have a side story about this yes i think i don't classify myself as someone that has sensitive skin mm-hmm. I do have certain triggers. Like it can't get sensitized once in a while. I think the worst story I have is my mom used to be someone that loves to comment on things. I'm like, oh, hotel stuff is super dirty. It's so dirty. <laughs> like you want to like make sure they change your sheets mm. and pillowcases. And my mom, of course they do. You're being crazy. There was one time on a business trip and, you know, stay at a hotel. It's a standard basic hotel. 
came back and the side of my face I slept on the pillow had a rash so bad. It wasn't red, but it was like snake molting. And it was super duper dry. It was before we created the Bon Voyage. So I was just, I was horrified. And after that, I was like, I think my mom was right. <laughs> I don't know if they changed your pillowcase. But anyway, side story. Don't you hate when moms are right? Absolutely. I just, anyways, I could, yeah. <laughs> they just have these moments. The timing is both inconvenient, not what you want to hear, but then proves her point. Anyways, yeah. okay. <clears throat> All right. So after that definition, mm-hmm. is there any bio behind sensitive skin? I'm tell you right now, uh, because like we said, the definition being so generic, mm-hmm. the bio that they tend to link to may feel a little generic as well. So the first thing is it's definitely a link to an impaired barrier function. Mm-hmm. So sensitive skin is known to cause a noticeably decreased amount of neutral lipids mm-hmm. and upregulated levels of sphingolipids that have been linked to reduced barrier stability. Um, and on top of that, uh, something that Gloria and I talk about a lot is that when you have a weakened skin barrier, remember, this is your shield to the outside. Mm-hmm. So when that barrier is weakened, it sometimes actually can be even more come slightly perforated. So yeah. it allows the penetration of these irritants, external allergens that normal skin have no problem defending against, but it can't protect your inside from your outside. Yeah. And I think all this to say with um, the symptoms you might experience, tightness, stinging, an impaired barrier function. I think it's important to keep in mind that all skin types can be sensitized yes. at one point or not in yes. your life. You can have a compromised skin barrier. And I think sensitive skin is more like, how easy can, does your skin get to this state? Yeah. And that- How is, frequent. Yeah, exactly. That isn't clearly defined, right? Yeah. Like if you get irritated with everything under the sun, like with um, AHA, with peels, with retinoids with i don't know a cleanser that's a little bit too aggressive and maybe your skin can be considered sensitive but there's no hard definition to this yeah and i think that's such a good point that the other third thing that uh, they list is a neurosensory dysfunction and that actually attributes to that hypersensitivity that those sensations that you feel it's the stinging the tingling the burning sensations the itchiness so those would be the two main links to sensitive skin uh while we were looking at this, there were a couple interesting things we thought we would share. The first thing is that basically um, in some papers they note, there has been little consistent correlation observed between individual response to specific irritants in testing <laughs> and self-perceived sensitive skin. <laughs> For example, sensitivity to one irritant did not predict sensitivity to others. Thank you. This is what we've been trying to say <laughs> since day one. I thought Gloria would like this. <laughs> yeah, this is um, our stance from day one because I do think um, kind of like pore clogging ingredients, skin sensitizing ingredients, mm-hmm. people have turned into, I won't say witch hunt, but a little bit of, I, I don't blame people for wanting a clear list of if you use this, bad. If you use not this, then good, you're mm-hmm. safe. But the reality is everyone's trigger is different. Mm-hmm. And that's just how it is. Yeah. And the other thing I thought was interesting, which will lead into our meat part two, is if upon clinical examination, erythema, which is redness, is observed, the diagnosis of sensitive skin is made more difficult to separate from other numerous skin diseases. (laughs) That's so frustrating. (laughs) (laughs) Because I think a lot of times people look for that visual cue to tell them that they have sensitive skin. Yep. But that's actually not the case. Ew, awkward. Yeah. yeah. So 
fascinating. But anyways, this and you guys are going to laugh because this actually basically summarizes the state of sensitive skin. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to break down a couple, I guess, um, I guess what how do I want to say more applicable scenarios and topics within this realm. But that's the general, uh, I guess, definition and how we would describe sensitive skin. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, one thing we should mention before this is um, you might be thinking of skin conditions like eczema, psoriasis, and rosacea. Yep. Uh, if you are dealing with skin conditions like this, Gloria and I are happy to tell you we are not doctors. Yep. And that is those conditions are best to go to a doctor for any sort of questions or help. Mm-hmm. So we're not going to get into the biology of any of those scenarios um, too deeply. But I did think um, something Gordon and I wanted to share is actually to go through a common label you'll see in skincare for this category. And that is the accepted by the National Eczema Association label. Mm-hmm. We'll show that here. You often see it on products like CeraVe, mm-hmm. Aquafor. Aquafor mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of these products, you'll see that blue label. And we figured it might be kind of interesting to dissect this for and you might see that it's not only helpful for eczema patients, but for general skin, sensitive skin types as well. Yep. Well, we did just say that no-no lists are not super helpful. <laughs> um, we should mention that this label does come with what they call, they're being super cute, exclusion list. Um, exclusion list. Yep. Um, I will say we're not going to read everything off the list because most of these are not commonly found in skincare. Uh, within the skincare realm, the what they call out notably is citrus stuff, right? Mm-hmm. They call out powder, peel oil, extract. So anything citrusy um, is flagged. Formaldehyde is also flagged. This is not usually used directly, but there are formaldehyde releasing preservatives like DMDM Heidentwan and um, the Pizzeria. Yes, but I will say those formaldehyde releasing preservatives are also not super common because. They've gone through the round of bad press in recent years. Yeah. Um, so, but anyway, formaldehyde is also flagged. Uh, a couple other ingredients that's relevant to skincare. There's one that I find to be really interesting. It's propolis. Yeah. Yeah. I did not know that um, bee um, stuff sensitivity bee stuff. is so uh, specific and important enough for the association to flag. Yeah, for sure. And we should mention that this label is actually used outside of cosmetics as well. They actually look at um, house cleaners and detergents as well, mm-hmm. which is why you've, you may find some of these other ingredients on there. Yep. Um, one of the other things uh, that they list is an asterisk that products must not include. That includes fragrance, mm-hmm. chemical UV absorbers, and formaldehyde releasers is what Gloria mentioned about preservatives. Now, chemical UV absorbers I thought was interesting because that is, massive yeah the massive category and granted we will say that these uv filters they are um generally pretty i would say like volatile oils um light oils and yes sometimes the way they are formulated can uh lead to some reaction but it really is formula dependent yeah so it's it's tough that's like i feel like a really tough one and i would say there's definitely chemical sunscreens out there that eczema uh, individuals can definitely use. Yeah, this is the case to definitely listen to your skin. We've talked about sunscreens extensively. To date, mm-hmm. I have not found a physical sunscreen that I enjoy. Um, <laughs> but um, if you have found one that, uh, that but physical sun filters, I should say, is is what derms the most um, yeah. people will point you towards if you have really sensitive skin. It's but, a safer bet. Yes. Yeah. But just know that that's still very formula dependent because it's a high oil content 
product. There's a lot of things that go into formulating a physical sunscreen. Mm -hmm. So still just listen to your skin there. Just because something is physical filter doesn't mean you're safe from irritation either. Yeah. And they also use a lot of volatile oils as well. (laughs) But yeah. But on top of that, they actually have a clinical safety testing requirement. Mm -hmm. And I think this might be interesting for anyone who's wondered how do people get those kinds of claims and whether or not it actually pertains to you as someone who feel who um, identifies as having sensitive skin. Mm -hmm. Um, So they actually require one of three types of testing. And we'll go through that now. So the first one is a cumulative irritation test. And they actually go into a lot of detail um, Mm -hmm. because it's different for the product types. Sure. In the cleanser category, uh, first of all, what's interesting is exfoliators and scrubs are not accepted, period. So even in brands that use this label a lot, that's why you won't see any scrubbies or exfoliators come with this um, label. Um, that really makes sense. Yeah, if you have sensitive skin, it doesn't necessarily mean that these ingredients are out mm, right off the bat. But um, if you have more compromised skin, sometimes they're not um, physicians. So just avoid those for yeah. now. Yeah. And then you have hair products. Uh, clean and household cleaning solutions that are used at, at least a 1% dilution. Mm. Um, sunscreens must be mineral based. And then all these, and then you perform the cumulative irritation study. What I find really interesting is the minimum requirement is there needs to be at least 25 study subjects mm. and all participants must have self-perceived sensitive skin. Mm. And this is where I was like, oh, self-perceived sensitive skin. Yes. That actually feels like a lower requirement than I thought they would require. Yes. And you'll see as we go through each study that they all um, list it as self-perceived sensitive skin, Mm -hmm. not eczema, which I think is sometimes what people expect seeing the label. Right. And I did want to add, if you are curious what a cumulative irritation test is, Mm -hmm. what they do is they apply the product to a site. Um, They actually apply it multiple times over a course of maybe a few days. Um, and they apply it in a patch. So it's like semi-occlusive. There's occlusive and then semi-occlusive where it's like semi-breathable. Um, and they want to monitor for any sort of reaction. And they usually have an expert grader there to score it. Yeah. So if you have a concept of what this study does. So that's one type. There's actually multiple types. And the second study, it's a safety in use. And this is where you're just um, allowing the subjects to use it as if, you know, they're using this product normally um, based on its instructions. You're testing for potential, the potential for irritation under these normal conditions. And the same thing, subject size of 25. Mm-hmm. Um, all participants must have self-perceived sensitive skin. They must use this product for two weeks. And they still have similar requirements for cleansers. You know, they can't they don't allow exfoliators and scrubs. They must use at least a 1% diluted solution, which I thought that was very interesting for For safety and use. I feel like it, I don't know if that might be a typo, but I feel like you're supposed to use a cleanser. Yeah. Because another, how does it make a safety safety. (laughs) use? Anyway, cool. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So that's the second one. And then the third one is the most common. It's, this is HRAPT, mm-hmm. uh, which is a repeat insult patch test mm-hmm. done on human skin. Mm-hmm. A small amount of the topical is applied to patches either on the back or forearm mm-hmm. for, say, 24 hours, and the reactivity is observed. Mm-hmm. Um, this is very common. This is also done on not like products that's not being geared towards this label. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is this one has a much higher study subject requirement. The minimum number is 100 panelists. Mm-hmm. 
And what's a little interesting is there are two ways to do it. Yeah, the first the first possibility is at least 50 out of 100 participants mm -hmm. must have self-perceived sensitive skin, kind of like the other ones, and the other 50 can have normal skin. Or a panel of 100%, all of them can have self-perceived sensitive skin. Like, that's an interesting Yeah, range. I wonder why they loosened that requirement, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So I think the takeaway here is that, one, this label is not necessarily geared towards eczema, mm -hmm. which... I, I want to say it's not necessarily a bad thing because if they actually tested on eczema patients, one, the safety testing cost would be way higher. Yeah. And two, that's actually a really difficult test to pass. Yeah. So it's not for Gloria and I, we don't find that like super alarming, I guess. Right. It's just something to keep in mind. And again, this is why the seal is helpful. And because Especially if you don't, even if you don't have eczema and you just have general sensitive skin or you find that you don't know what your skin triggers are, yeah. know that this label is something that can be helpful for you. Yeah, exactly. So it's definitely something you can be mindful of as you're shopping. I think there comes a time where we've had sensitive skin type individuals just get so frustrated um, feeling like there's nothing out there that... Mm -hmm they're finding and they're not finding any solution so we would say this might be a good label to help shop by if you feel like you just aren't it's you've just been at it for too long yeah, yeah. for sure but anyways we're gonna take a break ah, that was very <laughs> dense <laughs> all right it's time to break 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 it up break 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 it up break 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 it up it's the animal fun fact of the day all right what do we got today all right, today we are talking about the frigate. <laughs> the frigate? <laughs> wow, excuse me. <laughs> All, right, All right, talk to me about the frigate. <laughs> the frigate is a bird. Frigate, <laughs> frigate? Yep, it's a bird. It's uh, predominantly black plumage. Um, it's got these like very deeply forked tails and a very long hooked bill. I will say not the prettiest bird in mm. my opinion. They are more memorable because while the females have these like white underbellies, the males have a very distinctive red, they call it a guler pouch. Oh. So it's like a bag mm -hmm. basically underneath their beak. And they use this bag to, and this bag will inflate during the breeding season to attract females. Hot. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I like my Attractive, frigates. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Big red pouches. Uh -huh. Yes. So uh, I really want to share about the frigate, not really because of necessarily their behavioral power or anything. It's really about their mating scenario. Mm -hmm. Oh, we're back to fun mating scenarios. <laughs> yes, we're uh -huh. back to fun mating scenarios. But one thing you need to know about these birds is that they are referred to as kleptoparasites. Um, they will occasionally rob other seabirds for food. Snatch seabird chicks from nests. They oh. just steal stuff. Oh. They love stealing stuff. Um, a lot of birds are kind of shasty characters. Yes. A lot of birds are assholes, basically. Oh. Let's talk about their mating ritual. So frigate birds have probably one of the more elaborate mating displays um, where basically male birds, they take up residence uh, in these colonies and groups. Mm -hmm. And what they do is they land in these bushes uh -huh. basically in trees and there's like 30 of them and what they do is they inflate their pouch as like a beacon to females flying above uh -huh. to get them to come yeah to them and mate and they also make like a very interesting like drumming noise mm -hmm. when they inflate so it's just quite a scene and i'm showing gloria a picture 
of these males in a tree. It looks kind of obscene. It's wild. <laughs> <laughs> it is something you would never think I don't know why. I feel like the human equivalent is if a guy literally flips over, takes off his pants, like, hey girl. <laughs> and, but they're in packs like of 30. Moons? Yeah. Like moon, moon Mooning you, women. But 30 of them yeah. in a pack. Like, hey girl, see in anything tree. you like? <laughs> yes. So that's how they lure them. And it's not always successful because sometimes the females will flock down and they'll be like, okay, you're interesting. But they don't actually, they just, there's something off. Usually it's about like the location of where Mm. they land. Maybe the wind just doesn't, isn't blowing in the right direction where they're standing. Like you just don't know. But anyway, so not always successful. Also what sucks is males will sometimes fight each other for positions in these um, trees. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's just a whole debacle basically. So. Once they've, the female has picked the male, after copulation, the male is now in charge of helping to gather and build the nest. Mm -hmm. This is also actually quite a spectacle because you'll see they usually look for um, sticks that are like floating in the general area of water that surrounds them. There's not a lot to be found. Mm -hmm. So you actually see a lot of birds because they're kleptos start stealing sticks from each other midair oh my god <laughs> <laughs> so it's quite crazy um and then uh the good the other kind of interesting thing to note about these guys is that they take a really long time raising these babies mm-hmm. so they prefer to nest in trees or bushes and then if it's not available they'll nest on the ground a single white egg weighs up to about six to seven percent of a mother's body mass. I feel significant. Yes. And then it's incubated for up to 55 days. And they are the baby is continuously guarded by the parent for the first four to six weeks and mm-hmm. then fed in the nest for five to six months. Oh, that's just really long for birds. Long. And then both parents take turns feeding for the first three months. Um, where the males, they say, it, it's funny in this quote, it says, males attendance trails off, leaving the mother to feed the young for another <laughs> six to nine months oh, no. on average. No, no. Yeah. So it takes so long to raise this chick that oftentimes frigor birds, they breed every other year. Oh. That's how long. Yeah. So anyways, that's the frigor bird. <laughs> Yay, frigor birds. <laughs> Mooning sh- everyone. <laughs> Let me show, I'm going to show Gloria a picture of what this looks like. Not the prettiest bird. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's got this basically giant. What is a word for the, you know, uh, it's not the bag of pipe. What do you play the uh, bagpiper? Bagpipe. Uh-huh. Yeah, it looks like a bagpipe connected to, like he's wearing it like a tie. So it's usually this small yes. and then just like, Poof! yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's I'm a, mooning the females. This one. Oh, hey, girl. <laughs> Look hey, at girl. my pouch. Look at my bag. <laughs> I, yeah. I heard they just like red bags. <laughs> <laughs> and I heard you like the sound it makes. Boar, boar, boar. <laughs> yeah. All right. That's the frigga bird. So a red bird for an episode about redness. <laughs> time for me part two. Oh I get it. I get it. <laughs> All right. We're moving on. All right. Me part two. It's time to talk about erythema. Good night. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um. Two-star erythema basically is retinas. It's kind of a generic term almost because mm-hmm. erythema can be caused by all sorts of stuff. Mm-hmm. It, can be a, uh, it can be a viral infection. It can be acne. This is why in the previous episode, the Paul's Choice uh, retinas um, toner is actually part of their acne line. 
Um, it could be skin conditions like psoriasis. It can be sunburns or even just you're having a fever. Yeah. And so if you are trying to target your retinas, we would say this is probably pretty challenging. Mm -hmm. If we look at erythema solely at erythema only, there's actually not a lot out there because this is really more of a almost, I don't want to say secondary phenomenon, but it's, it's, it's really more a effect of mm -hmm. whatever the root cause is. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, this is where it's generally painful. And the other thing that we found that when people want to tackle redness, sometimes that because it's so convoluted, they feel that they should almost be looking at rosacea products or yeah. products that speak to rosacea to battle redness. And we would say that's not that's not how that works either, because rosacea itself is super complicated. So speaking of rosacea, we will get into a little bit more here. But ultimately, we should mention, again, a friendly reminder that we're not doctors. So if your rosacea is severe and it's yeah. very chronic, there are a lot of different types of rosacea. And it's best that you see your germ to <clears throat> hopefully narrow down to the type of rosacea you have to help you mm -hmm. um, battle it. And to kind of give you an idea of yeah. why cosmetics may or may not be super helpful for general rosacea. We actually found a study. A pretty good study. Yep. It's, um, the title is Efficacy and Tolerability of a Detergent and Care Component for Rosacea Patients. Mm. This is a split-phase, vehicle-controlled, randomized trial. So basically, rosacea um, patients try, uh, on one half of the phase, just use a basic cleanser and sunscreen. And on the other side, uses um, the same regimen plus a treatment they're testing. Yeah. And this treatment contains common in, um, I guess barrier and soothing care ingredients you'll find in skincare like Alantuan and Centella. Mm -hmm. And the conclusion is, uh, so they measure skin at baseline and then again at four weeks. And they found that basically the side, the vehicle side without the test product and the side with the test product performed about the same. It wasn't statistically significantly different. So that's kind of the yeah. state of it. And in a way, I kind of feel like it makes a case for a mild cleanser and a sunscreen in your routine. Because <laughs> clearly that's uh, generally speaking helpful. Yeah. And I think that's also, it's a good reality check, right? Yeah. Like we talk about soothing ingredients a lot. Mm -hmm. um, we really like aspects of Centella. There's a lot of Centella types out there. Mm -hmm. And we like Elantuan as well. But I think it's a good way to like manage the expectations of like, what these actives can do and obviously in treating rosacea like we said is so complicated mm -hmm. um oftentimes rosacea patients are getting prescribed uh antibiotics mm -hmm. or a whole regimen of products so this hopefully helps people understand that it's okay and like not like it's not a miracle worker basically right. yeah no i think that's a really great point yep and another thing with rosacea that um uh, we see a lot of our followers turn to is sprays like the tower 28 these like word of mouth products yeah. that really catch wind as something that can really help retinas yeah i think it it can help to some degree and it's also something where you should untamper expectations just a little bit um uh, the main active ingredient in tower 28 well actually the only ingredient such as hypochlorous acid that has some antimicrobial um properties so victoria mentioned that if you're in Malaysia, sometimes you are on some sort of antibacterial so that it could help in that sense and it has some anti-inflammatory data so it could be helpful but just know that it's not necessarily studied specifically for rosacea yes in fact a lot of the data that's behind this hypochlorous acid is in wound healing very different scenario but it is seen as a broad of pretty decent broad spectrum antimicrobial so 
that explains why you might have read a lot of people's experiences um, in having good results. Um, so yeah, I would say that, you know, I think it's, there's definitely a lot of hype right now around this active. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, I would, we would say it's definitely worth a try, but you're not expecting like a hundred percent cure all because like we, um, rosacea is not just about the anti, um, the antimicrobial aspect. Right. Yeah. So I guess to sum up, mm -hmm. um, when you're shopping, if you have rosacea and you're shopping in the cosmetic aisle for something, anti-redness, uh, refer back to previous episode because some of these have, some products have decent clinical studies on redness reduction. They may or may not pertain to your cause of redness, but it's still a helpful guideline to kind of see um, how something might help. I do, one of my favorite anti-redness products is SkinCeuticals um, Phytocorrective Mask, and they did a temperature and redness study. Um, that's just something for inspiration. But at the same time, again, there are a lot of different, even just within rosacea, there are a lot of different types. So if it's chronic and you're having trouble navigating just these things you can buy yourselves on the shelves, definitely time to see a derm to narrow it down. For sure. And uh, look forward to a future blog article on rosacea. Mm -hmm. But we actually looked at a lot of these conditions because we wanted to see, basically understand like for this specific category of generally skin, sensitive skin and um, skin conditions there i want to say shared factors mm. and we can definitely tell you that also within um rosacea skin barrier mm -hmm. is a really big focus as well and because of that we are going to go through a few guidelines and for this general realm um so this sounds like we're repeating ourselves multiple times but derms are your friends here if you've been battling with your scenario for too long um we would say there's nothing wrong with getting an allergy test talking to your derm letting them assess what is really happening because we can tell you that with rosacea a lot of times it actually gets diagnosed as acne oh my god yeah yeah, yeah. so it's actually there are and because rosacea has different types it can be very confusing and so that's why it's like much better to just get it officially assessed. Yeah. And even if you just have sensitive skin, we've had people that sign up for our hatchery. Mm -hmm. And one of the questions we ask is, oh, do you have ingredient sensitivity? If so, what are you sensitive to? And sometimes the answer will be so random yeah. and spo so specific. Like someone wrote, I think a while ago, like cetyl alcohol, which is a very standard generic, like fatty yes. alcohol. Mm -hmm. I'm like, how did you even narrow it down to that? And <laughs> this is where like getting an actual allergy patch test is super helpful rather than doing your own detective work at home. Totally. So now we got that aside, let's talk about building a routine. All right. <laughs> um, again, um, one of the main symptoms and basically a vicious cycle of sensitive skin is barrier health. Mm -hmm. If your barrier health is compromised and chances are it, it's more prone to getting more irritants penetrating and it becomes more inflamed and so on and so forth. So um, tackling your skin barrier function is definitely the key starting point here. Yeah. And in order to do that, one of the first things to look at is actually your cleanser. Um, actually looking at cleanser pH here can be helpful compared to a lot of other skin scenarios, actually. Yeah, um, I will say, I think it's become such a norm, the mm -hmm. low pH cleanser. Um, there are a lot of options to choose from mm -hmm. and definitely check out our cleanser episode yeah. and blog post for more. Um, pH is just one of many factors. So if you're someone that is really irritated by cleansers do the next step and find out what surfactants might work for you mm -hmm. but generally speaking a low ph of slightly acidic five ish is good for you here yeah and try not to reach for even lower sometimes mm -hmm. that we can get carried away with things and actually lower ph can cause irritation so 
Um, there's actually been a lot of studies done on soap, you mm-hmm. know, so this would be a skin scenario where we would say avoid the soap based cleansers. Um, a lot of comparisons done from with soap and Cindit bars, which do have that lower um, pH of five to six. Um, so, yeah. And the other thing that I thought was fascinating was when we were doing this research, a lot of times they did actually talk about humectants, emollients and inclusives, which I thought was quite cool. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the takeaways is uh, not only is it do they mention that it's helpful to have a balance of these three, mm-hmm. they do have a focus on occlusives and which is something that Gordon and I tout a lot for compromised skin barriers. They actually one thing that is noted is that occlusives are generally helpful. Yes. But 100 percent petrolatum may actually not be the most ideal occlusive type. Mm-hmm. which I thought was fascinating. And this is actually specifically taken for a rosacea paper. Uh-huh. I did want to mention they, and I'm going to read this whole line that's taken from the paper. Um, it's a little long, so bear with me, but they write naturally anhydrous occlusive petrolatum jelly can reduce uh, stratum corneum water loss by more than 98%. We went through this in our occlusive episode, whereas other occlusive oils can create a 20 to 30% reduction of stratum corneum water loss. So they're talking about the reduction of tool, um, that water evaporation that can lead to irritation and dry skin. So the excellent occlusive properties of petrolatum may be due to its potential to diffuse into the intercellular lipid domain of the skin. However, the same ability to diffuse into the skin may also interfere with barrier recovery and therefore may not be the best choice for those with an impaired stratum corneum permeability barrier associated skin disorder such as and they list etr and ppr which is actually which is actually two types of rosacea Mm -hmm. so i thought this clip was actually really interesting and while we are speaking to a very specific um, skin condition Mm -hmm. it does it's something that it's like sometimes we've had followers say like they don't actually like basically that Vaseline isn't super successful for them. Mm -hmm. And so there is some merit to the idea of like blended occlusives. So these are your CeraVe, your Aquaphors, our Bon Voyage, things like that um, have been generally more successful. And we should also mention that in multiple types of, I guess, uh, or I guess multiple papers regarding sensitive skin or skin conditions, silicones have been recommended so Mm -hmm. that's just something that i thought would be kind of interesting to share because a lot of times people like yes vaseline is usually the Mm go-to and then if that that let's start looking at blended i think would be like how i would kind of take that yeah and this i don't know if it's valid or not to say um but if you want something that if you're like okay petrolatum doesn't work for me you can yes you can try a blended petrolatum based exclusive um, a lot of scar gels on the market are basically just silicone gels. <laughs> yeah. That could be a light occlusive yeah. that that just it's a different type no, of product really you try. Point. Yeah. No, that's a really good point. Yeah. All right. And one other thing that I thought was interesting, and this is also because I went down a rosacea rabbit hole, but so Gloria has to listen to this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there is a top a paper that talks about skin priming. Oh, what does that mean? In rosacea. Uh-huh. And I actually think Gloria will find that we might really resonate with this. Mm -hmm. So the person writes, Del Rosso has discovered that in his clinical experience for patients with a flare of ETR and PPR, two types of rosacea, especially when associated with intensification of erythema and increased severity of symptoms, that first priming the skin 
with proper skincare before initiating topical oh. therapy mm-hmm. is very beneficial therapeutically. Mm-hmm. Skin priming essentially resets the SC permeability barrier to a more neutral playing field and involves initiating topical management over the first three to five days mm-hmm. with only a specifically designated mild OTC cleanser and moisturizer. This approach corrects SE stratum corneum impairment mm-hmm. that is related innately to rosacea, especially during a flare. Da, 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 da. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's a great concept. Yeah. yeah. So skin barrier first, take care of it with some basic products. Exactly. Yep. Yep. That's oh, look at this. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, we really like this because this is actually what everyone should do mm-hmm. in a skin irritation scenario is basically just cut down to the bare minimum, which is here they mentioned just your cleanser and moisturizer until you feel like skin has gone back to normal and then go back to whatever treatments you're doing. Actually, uh, this is something we haven't mentioned, but if you have da- uh, if you guys have dabbled in our new website, mm-hmm. you'll see that our um, products are kind of under a new um, organization scheme. Yeah. And one of the categories we have is fundamentals. And underneath, we only have blank slate cleanser, aquafix, Mr. Reliable Moisturizer and the oil. And basically it's just those two functions. It's to cover your um your cleansing and your moisturizing and take care of that as the fundamentals first. And then we can talk treatments and other in a pinch type products. And y'all thought we were so whimsy. <laughs> we, there's, we're so logical. There's so much logic, guys. <laughs> yeah. So I really like that. And mm-hmm. I just felt, I was like, ah, oh, validation. <laughs> All right. So that pretty much covers the, you know, building routine, what you should do in times of, you know, when your skin's in a pinch and irritation, how to handle cleansers and moisturizers. Let's talk about actually searching for solutions. So first things would be looking for anti-redness product. (sighs) Okay. So this is going to be a deco episode part. Um, I didn't mean it. It's just very quick, very quick. Yeah. So this is where claims really matter. Um, I guess we are adding to our when to decode, when not to decode list. Mm -hmm. Anti-redness is one of those uh, situations and types of products where getting too nitty gritty with the uh, active list is not going to help your decision making. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, let's take a look at one product, uh, SkinCeuticals uh, Phytocorrective Essence Mist. They did a four-week clinical study with 50 people between the ages of 18 to 65 uh, with mild to moderate visible redness, rough skin texture, dullness, and fine lines. Final corrective essence mist was applied to the face once a day, in con- just once a day is actually kind of interesting and mm. kind of impressive, uh, in conjunction with a sunscreen. <laughs> My face just feels so dry reading that. <laughs> uh, and reapply throughout the day as needed. Efficacy and tolerability evaluations were conducted at baseline two and uh, week two and four. And so for their results, this clinical, they found that they saw a 31% reduction in visible redness immediately after use. Mm -hmm. And while that stat doesn't sound very impressive, we want to mention again that this is a clinical with actual measurements taken, not a consumer perception. And why the protocol is so important here is because it gives a very clear picture of what type of skin type was tested and how it's used. And we would say this is kind of a really good example of like, okay, I feel like this can help my redness. Yeah. yeah. And I will say 31% doesn't sound like a lot, but I will say this is probably already a visible reduction of redness. Usually when we see clinical uh, instrument, instrumental measurements in the teens is where I'm like, you may or may not perceive it as an improvement. I think that's a, that's a really good point to highlight. And as a foil scenario to this, um, remember how I mentioned how 
if you looked for anti-redness products and if you Googled it in Sephora or Ulta's like search bar, it can come up with some very interesting product suggestions. Mm-hmm. One of them is the IS or IS Clinical Active Serum that might also get promoted. But if you actually go through their, I believe this is a clinical that they did, it actually doesn't cater to anti to redness at all. Mm-hmm. They actually, um, I'll just blitz through their clinical claims. It's 65% reduction in the appearance of fine lines and wrinkles, 94% reduction in the appearance of blemishes, 57% reduction in uneven complexion, but it doesn't say anything about redness. So I just want to put that out there so that when you guys are looking, you know to just, this is why you should check the claim. Yeah, redness is a very hard claim to, to hit. So mm. yeah, definitely do a double take and look closer at clinical claims. Yeah. All right, and finally... Looking for soothing serums. Okay, so as we mentioned in the beginning of the segment, <laughs> this is limited, right? It's helpful mm. for a lot of scenarios, but once you're, if your skin is in that very irritated or <clears throat> if there's an actual condition like eczema or rosacea, this is where it can be a little limiting of what it can do for you. Yeah, we definitely want to say there's a case for using mm-hmm. soothing serums in your daily routine, um, whether you're sensitive skin or not. Um, this is because your skin is constantly facing these external aggressors daily. And when you you just want to be able to do what you can to keep skin happy and not end up in irritation town, basically. And this is where your botanicals, some mm. of the favorites that we talk about, like Bisable, Madocasticide, these all can be really um, a great add-on to mm-hmm. your routine. But yeah, other than that, one last thing about sunscreens is yes minerals will probably be the safest bet to dabble in just Mm. know that you are getting there is a trade-off with texture and probably aesthetics um and so but if you sunscreens are important to your routine so we would say that would be the area we'd point you down direction down and last but not least we said this a few times but definitely remember that your friend's trigger is not your trigger um, no-no lists are basically only loosely helpful. Mm-hmm. Everyone's trigger is incredibly different. You might have sensitive skin, but your skin is A-OK with all sorts of fragrance, <laughs> but hates a really random vanilla ingredient. That's the nature of things. You can try to do your own detective work when that gets too cumbersome, too convoluted. You know, keep track of what you reacted mm-hmm. to and bring it to your dirt for a patch test to narrow it down. Speaking of patch test, Gloria, how do we patch test? That is a great question, Victoria, <laughs> because I think a lot of times like, we said it on the blog, in our book, and yeah. also on the podcast many times, which is, oh, chemist rule, always patch test. And people are like, how do I patch test? <laughs> Great question. Um, first things first, always only try one new product at a time. If you're nuking your routine or you're adding five serums at a time, you really wouldn't know where that irritation is coming from. So we will say apply to a more trigger happy spot. You probably already know what yours are. Um, for a lot of people, generally speaking, uh, if, if you are really afraid of a flare up and you don't want to go out with like a really red skin on your cheek, I would say like kind of like that under chin, like right along your jawline mm. is a pretty sensitive spot mm. that will give you a good indication. I get very itchy here in general, mm. so I will always know. <laughs> um, so you put it on your face, just leave it. Um, I would say generally speaking, you don't have to go crazy with like trying to occlude it to see if it, mm. it causes irritation. Just use it as you would normally and leave it on for the day. Look nothing for, else. Nothing and apply else. Nothing else. Yeah. And look for anything. Tingling, itchy, uh, uh, redness, or any sensation. I think for everyone who may experience skin sensitivity, your triggers different or your symptoms are different. Mm-hmm. I get itchy. Mm-hmm. That is my sign. I may or may not get red. Redness is 
sometimes like stage two of irritation, but itchiness is usually where it starts. Mm. So look for your trigger and anything else. Um, I would say usually you're in a clear after a day, but I would say if you are worried about that like kind of delay reaction, three days. If you do this for three days and you're in the clear, it's more likely you're fine. Yeah. And I think that about wraps up our take on sensitive skin. <sighs> Was this helpful? <laughs> We're ending this podcast on was this helpful? I know it sounds so needy, but it's it is a question. Yeah, we definitely threw quite the amuse bouche of, I guess, sensitive skin info. Mm -hmm. Um, But this will also all be summarized in our sensitive skin guide coming soon. Um, But otherwise, yeah, if you have any questions, um, anything we answer, yeah, please just find us on this topic. We love to help. All right. Yeah, so if you have any questions about sensitive skin or skincare in general, you can write to us at info at chemistconfessions.com. Find us on our website at chemistconfessions.com or write to us, DM us on Instagram at chemist.confessions. Um, if you have additional questions, a suggestion in what we should talk about next in the podcast, you can also just comment below. And that's it. Oh, do oh, <laughs> All right, well, thank you guys. We will see you guys next time. Bye.